Hello out there. Welcome to Women at the Table. I'm your host, Karen King. Please join me and my guests as we explore the many perils of patriarchy, male privilege, positional power, and the state of feminism in the 21st century. The pandemic, reckoning with structural and institutional racism and the great resignation have disrupted and redefined the workplace. While all women have felt the impact of these circumstances in specific ways, including an unprecedented number leaving the workplace as a result of the pandemic, Black women and women of color have felt the impact of those three disruptors in a particularly unique way. How will the workplace be reimagined? What will leadership and power look like? And what role will 21st century feminism play in shaping this landscape? Welcome to Women at the Table, and I'm your host, Karen King. And today, we're gonna to be talking about what the landscape of the workplace looks like. And I am pleased to be joined by a change management expert. Angela Douglas currently serves as the co-executive director of Vera House, a Syracuse-based victim services agency covering all of Onondaga County within New York State. Vera House has existed for more than 40 years with a mission to prevent, respond, and partner to end domestic and sexual violence, elder abuse, as well as other forms of violence. Angela's primary work with Vera House is centered in leading strategic planning and execution, organizational and leadership development, and change management. Her goal is to increase organizational capacity while deconstructing social norms that maintain sexual assault, domestic violence, and oppression in order to advocate for systemic change. She has a diverse career experience in education, juvenile justice, alternative dispute resolution, nonprofit leadership, and entrepreneurship. Angela has been designing curricula, training, and programs for more than 30 years. She is a consultant, author, and sought-after speaker who commits herself to be a catalyst for healing and transformation for individuals, organizations, businesses, and systems. Please welcome Angela Douglas. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, we are here to talk about the changing landscape of the workplace. What's changing and what's not? Let's start talking a little bit about your journey and you serve in, in rather a unique uh, situation or position as a co-executive director at Vera House. Tell us a little bit about that journey and, and what that looks like. Yeah, I think it completely is unique and yet a growing option for many uh, nonprofit organizations. My role came into Vera House as an associate director about four years ago, and they were really seeking just to look at how services and programs were operating, also looking at how they, one, were, they were already sustainable. They've been around a long time. Reputation is really good in the community as far as it goes to say mainstream institutions and systems really collaborating and partnering well. Where the organization was particularly not as strong is in Black, Brown, and marginalized communities. They have done every DEI initiative probably that could come the way. And my co-executive director, Randy Bregman, has said it's always been a value. And she 
very much was working to listen to experts and implement and had hired consultants before, but never really was successful. And one of the major things I wound up really kind of tackling, and I would say becoming much more of a truth teller too, was that Black and Brown people particularly had a hard time being retained inside of the organization and as well as serving those Black and Brown in our community. And so this intersection of race and gender, and I think even professionalism, we, we, we don't necessarily think about it that way, but there's some intersections in that. And so we began to tackle, she, she really encouraged me to be a truth teller. And, and there were some hard times in those conversations. I've had a particular career of doing many things and loving the things that I've been doing, but I also have had issues where gender and race have really risen in my career to, in many ways, sometimes sabotage, but also, you know, the harm and being able to sustain that. I, I actually burnt out several years ago and kind of had to go get my my head right, as they say, and my heart right and, and figure out what I really wanted to do and what kind of contribution I wanted to make. And so Vera House has been a, a phenomenal place. And let's just be clear, as a multiracial, multiethnic female in a nonprofit landscape, which is dominated in leadership by white females, it has been difficult over the years. And Randy has made way. So I often consider her uh, at least my accomplice in this work and ally in this work because she has the power and, and it's always very evident. And so when we're talking about the great resignations, what's fascinating to me is people are not recognizing that there are power shifts that are happening. And some people are very aware and recognizing that in very tangible ways because they think power is moving away from them. But there is sort of this reshuffling of the deck, so to speak. And I would say that I've also heard it as the great restructure. So with great resignation comes great restructure, but I also think comes a great shifting and rebalancing of power and what that looks like, what that feels like, and what that means inside the internal organizations and businesses and institutions, but also in the greater landscape. That's an interesting choice, the, the, the restructuring, because it certainly gives hope to the future. And if situations or social situations are, are constructions, so to speak, we can deconstruct and reimagine them. And, and of course, the workplace is, is one of those spaces. But, you know, I think it's always uh, interesting the way as, as a culture, we try to bifurcate, you know, our personal private lives and our workspaces when I think there is a total intersection of what happens in those spaces. And I think part of the problem for them not being inhabitable, particularly the workspace, has because we've tried to, to pretend like they don't merge into each other. You know, our lives are not separate. We don't stop being caretakers, um, you know, when we, we enter into the workplace. You know, that doesn't just, you know, get put on the back burner, as we found out in startling ways during the pandemic. So I'm encouraged to hear you say restructuring, because when I hear the resignation, a couple of things come to mind, you know, resigning from a situation or being resigned to a situation. And we certainly don't want to be resigned to it. We want to reimagine it. So you mentioned DEI or diversity, equity and inclusion, and that was 
all over the place during um, the beginning stages of the pandemic. And of course, the reckoning with institutional and structural white, uh, white supremacy and racism and the murder of George Floyd, uh, just an upheaval in our country and with a particular um, response from white Americans who don't always respond in en masse to these situations. So then, of course, you saw corporate America scrambling to address the situation. And you mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you talk a little bit more about you mentioned ally and accomplice. Can you talk a little bit more in, in terms of systems change, why uh, it's important at this moment that we engage in this process and maybe th the work that really needs to be done to see transformative change? That is the key, transformative change. I often think that as leaders, we are not thinking about that on a very regular basis or even at all. I, I don't know that we are actively considering transformation. And I think that is because in crisis, many folks are, are really thinking about how to maintain, sustain where you currently are. I just had a conversation with our executive leadership team this week and communicated to them that I, I really needed them to revisit their leadership development plans that we needed to reinvest in them as leaders. And, and I'm asking them to take that on in a significant way because we are not going to manage our way out of this pandemic. We have to lead our way out of this pandemic. And so management styles and management in and of itself merely keeps the system working. You cannot have transformative change when you're managing the system. And we're never managing people. People don't want to be managed. They want to be led. So if we're going to have transformational change, if we're going to live in transformative systems and institutions and organizations and businesses, then we've got to be committed to that. And there's a couple of things I think that you brought up that were also important that I want to connect to what you're asking around DEI. Um, one of my major anchors and premises for the last probably 25 years of my life is that professional development does not denote personal development and growth, but rather personal development and growth always, always, always denotes or equates to professional development. And in other words, if there is not this conversion of who I am in my being authentically, genuinely who I am, with what I'm doing every day, we're not human be we're, we're human beings, we're not human doings. So if that's the case, then how do I fully bring myself to space? How do I show up? What do I want to bring of myself? And I think for women, and I think for particularly women of color, we've had to keep parts of ourselves separated and not integrated. And I think in many ways, it's, it's made it much more challenging. But what the pandemic has called for and what it needs is actually everything of who we are. It then also requires us to take a look at where are we? Can we locate ourselves? If we're not healing and we're not pursuing wholeness and transformation, we can't expect our systems to do that particularly as leaders. So on the DEI front, 
it, it is much the same. So DEI has not worked. If it would, we'd be in a very different place. So we've got to own that, it, that it's not working. It, it's not working across our country. It, it's not just like in pockets or segments. It really has not been a viable solution for producing equity inside of organizations, businesses, and institutions. So if we can leave that behind, and of course, now we're adding lots of other words like justice, and we're focusing a lot on equity, which, which is all important stuff. But if we're not careful, we will literally just recreate the same thing. We would just call it new thinking. I call it putting lipstick on a pig. So <laughs> we... So we, we have this responsibility then to dive in even more, more directly and actually deeper. So we've got to really look at white supremacy. And this is where I really look at, and the whole organization of Vera House is really focusing right now on anti-racism and anti-oppression work and really looking at how white dominant middle-class culture hegemony, this dominant culture has really formed and shaped. It's created the norms in which we live by. Well, it's also created the norms, quite frankly, of gender-based violence, right? It's created the norms by which there are glass ceilings. It has created the norms. So while we have you know, at one point been probably a global leader, we are quickly falling and it's because we're not adapting and we are not doing the transformational work. But in order for that to happen, then we've all got to build new tables and we've got to redistribute power and we've got to think about that different. And it's fascinating. I know we don't have time to talk about power, but everything is formed by power. We have power in certain places and spaces in our positions. Our socioeconomic status gives us power. We, we cannot live outside of recognizing that. We can't build without recognizing that. So every conversation we must know is being formed and, and influenced by power. So what does that mean? Well, in, in our organization, it means that this little brown girl, while for all accounts, people saying, oh, you, you have the ability to do this work. Yeah, but I don't have the power to do the work. I really don't. Randy is a beautiful, amazing, highly intelligent, gifted Jewish woman and who, for all intensive purposes, really... Uh, uh, moves through the world in, in white skin. And she has had connections. She has had, you know, 30 some years now, almost 35 years of being in the system and leveraging power. And so it first, you know, I was quite happy in my associate director role. And she came to me and said, the pandemic has been, been tough and it's been tough on everyone. And I'm even thinking it, it, it might be time for me sooner rather than later to retire. And I'd like for you to come on with me as co-executive director. And then you can decide, do you want to continue to be co-executive directors? Do you want to be executive director? But, but we don't have to figure that out right now. That was a really hard time. I had just come off my brother dying. He was one of the overdose casualties of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came back not really knowing what I wanted to do. And having that thought and really digging into that and recognizing the only way I would be able to be successful in this position was to do a co-executive director model. 
and not, and, and this is the crazy thing. So I have people come up to me all the time and say, wow, you're, you're so lucky to have Randy bring you under her wing and to, to effectively mentor you and, and teach you. And, and while I have learned a lot from her, I have already been an executive director uh, a couple of times before. I have been a student of leadership and management and change for probably 30 years. And it was always fascinating to me that there was already this power dynamic of, wow, Randy's going to help, you know, this, this amazing white Jewish woman is going to help this little brown girl kind of take over, take over the organization. And it's come with lots of things. Now, the beautiful part of it, what I call horribly beautiful, is that that's not how Randy sees it. She is always very forthright in discussing, you know, that it's been a partnership and that I have brought to her and taught her as much as she has brought to me and taught me. It really, it's an equitable, I would say, for the most part, but there's systems, right? And there's power in the system. And so we're, we're working through this process of saying, okay, this is, it can't, it's got to look like this, but but Angela, I've, you've got you've got to do this and Randy, you've got to do this. It's, it's really been these moments of stumbling upon how the, how the system likes what it always ha- has had. And so when you're talking about change, that's the critical piece. The system always wants to go back to the way that it was. Our bodies want to go back to the way that it was. Our minds want to go back. Our souls want to go back. We have this inkling. And even though the back, Um, You know, I love Sonia Renee Taylor's quote about we will never go back, my friends like this. And it wasn't a good place. There was lots of inequity. There was lots of oppression. There was scarcity in a way I I say with a perceived scarcity. Right. Um, There was inequity all over. And yet we are longing to go back. And so the system is always going to try to pull you back. It is what are the things that are anchoring you to move forward? And so Randy and I have created this relationship very early on in my coming in as associate director and her saying to me, quite frankly, um, in a powerful way, and it it was like a gut punch to me. Um, That's how deeply it impacted me. And I, I couldn't even talk to her about it at the time. I had to come back later and have a conversation with her. She said, Angela, I did not invite you here for us to change you. I invited you here for you to change us. Well, you know, you said so many, so many rich things. And, and, but the one thing that, that is standing out here um, about transformation and you saying, um, you know, professional development will not work unless there's some kind of personal development, personal growth or personal um, acknowledgement. And it just brings me back to feminism. And of course, the expression during the second wave, the personal is political. So we can't separate ourselves into these halves and think that, you know, when we're being uh, in our, when we're in our professional spaces and being our professional selves, that we don't carry with us who we are in our private spaces. Um, And because there is real no separation. And I think for transformation to happen, is, is exactly what you're talking about in terms of this process that you've engaged in um, you know, with Randy in this leadership position of constantly questioning what are the inherent 
power relations, you know, what is what is underneath the surface? Why is change so hard? Um, why does it take so much time? And why do we keep finding ourselves back to where we were? after what we've been through. Yes, you said, you know, because we want, we seek something that is that is familiar and, and, and we seek some kind of stability. But when that stability is entrenched in systems that are not socially just, that are not equitable, the challenge just seems at times insurmountable. Yes. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking about feminism as a theory and as, as a theory of action to address these inequities has been talking about this false sense of separateness for years, right? And when we talk about addressing structural change, if it's not intersectional, if it isn't anti-racist, and I, and I would argue feminist, I think it's very difficult to, to get to transformative change. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, the way that you have pulled that together brings so many things to my mind. This idea, as you've said, right, let's go back. If we think about feminism, and I would say 20, 30 years ago, feminism, and think about women entering the workforce, and and not just entering the workforce, but being being skilled and brilliant and powerful in their own right and thinking about what they were required to do. I remember probably 25, 30 years ago, actually probably like 30 years ago, I did a lot of reading and studying really about women working in corporate America. And at that point, I really hadn't considered much about about nonprofit work. And I remember the debates, right, of women, what they should wear to work. Were they essentially sleeping their way to the top? You know, should, should they have deeper voices, right? I watched a video about how successful Margaret Thatcher was because her voice was much more low rather than high register and how people's ears are attuned to that. And, and it makes me think, you know, because it's masculine. Yeah. Right. So where women had many were given messages that to be more feminine was to be more masculine in these positions of power. And and that that really hasn't changed. Right. So so for black and brown women, for queer and trans women, there is this standard that you have to somewhat become, which means it's not authentically you. You then are not you are not accepted in. So how this this connection and this intersection of of who you are as female, who you are in your race and ethnicity, who you are in how you even live in the world. And the one piece I add to that is at Vera House, roughly 75 to 80% of our staff, whether male or female, have been victims of either childhood sexual abuse, rape, domestic violence, elder abuse, there's been some other abuse that has been in their life. And so without addressing that, without giving space to that, I, I used to say, I, well, I am not the professional in this space. I am the practitioner, but I'm a practitioner through lived experience, right? So my lived experience is what I'm, what I'm bringing as a victim to other victims and other survivors and to that system. And I would also say that that dominant culture 
also made it that that lived experience was not valuable. And so systems and institutions were built on professionalism and by professionals who in many ways disconnected the human experience from the very thing they were working to solve. So I too am rumbling with that and thinking about basically maybe it should be called the great integration. Yeah, right. The rumbling. Well, that's the question. We talk about creating an, an inclusive workspace and we talk about the lessons we've learned from, from this you know, racial reckoning, as people are calling it, or, or the pandemic and the resignation. But is the workspace big enough or, or, or fluid enough to be the inclusive space that we we hope it will be to for everyone to be their authentic selves. And I think that's where the conflict comes in. I mean, is something as 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 obvious as childcare and the way childcare has been negotiated since women have been reproducing and, and leaving their home to go to work. And it has been the responsibility almost solely on, on women and you know, families, but mostly women. Is the workplace a space where you know women can authentically be acknowledged as you know part of our our role as as caretakers as well as as men and families but that's the challenge it would seem is what kind of fluidity will exist in a workplace that is rooted in in this systems approach um, to efficiency models and profit margins and of course you know in, in many businesses are in business to show a profit and to employ people and, and to provide opportunities, of course. You know, we live in a capitalist free market society and that's not going away or changing dramatically anytime soon. But what kind of fluidity exists in these spaces for real transformative change to take place? I would say the kind of fluidity, I would say the openness that we need will depend on us as leaders to make it. Nothing at Vera House is moving because it's moving on its own. And it's not moving anymore simply because it's a good idea. I know that that's an important, we believe in it and it's right, but can I tell you that even people who believe that it's right and believe it's good are not necessarily making the change to become what you're talking about because that requires really, that requires principled and valued leaders to have that show up every day and to require it from them, from others around them. It's, it then requires you to take on these roles of being ally and accomplice. You cannot be an accomplice if you're not willing to give up something. And so uh, I think we're moving. I think, you know, I've been saying, quite frankly, even before COVID, if you were paying attention, you could feel it. It was the beginning of what is a revolution. We are in revolutionary times. Things are changing rapidly. And now with COVID, I think it's just, it's just sped it up a bit. And so the question to me is, it will become if we, if we're willing to become it. Just what you said and pointed out about our own personal and then the professional. Will we become it? Will we become fluid? Will we become open? Will we use what power we have and leverage that for a system to then move? Because the system is the system partly because of people. So if you can get the people to move and you recognize how to use policy and protocol and practices, you, we will then move, we will move the system, but 
but what circulates around all of that is culture. It doesn't matter you got the right people. It doesn't matter that the policy aligns. Culture ultimately will override everything. A very important also pinnacle for me is that culture eats everything else before 7 a.m. <laughs> It'll eat strategy. It will eat great intentions. It will eat everything. So if we're not going to spend some time looking at our cultures and the way we show up, and what are we saying culture in our organizations, our businesses, our families should be, I think we'll continue to get stuck. And it will take courageous people. It will take hard conversations. One of the most valued uh, roles and, and for people to take on in organizations is, is being courageous and being truth tellers, right? And being open that even my experience of truth may not be someone else's. So when we can talk about inclusive all day, is inclusive merely assembling different people to the table or inclusive saying, you know what? We've all experienced life really differently. How do we build space so that people can fully show up as themselves, take on amazing work? Can they be the caretakers that they are? Do we? Will, will we? Will we move towards that, right? We have taken on at Vera House, we went into this year with a $500,000 deficit. And we did that for all of the right reasons. But the right reasons, we could say it was the right reasons and not made a decision to go into a deficit year. We could have been doing a whole lot of other things, but without economic justice happening, then we're just talking. Right, right. Well, I, I, I think we have to start uh, creating the, the, chief, the chief truth teller um, officer. In, yes. our, in, our, like in, our, in our structures, um, because telling the truth is, uh, yeah, it is an act of courage, but also a necessary one to, to create real transformative change and making the workspace a place where people want to come every day and engage and, and, and problem solve and, and create innovative solutions to make everybody's lives better, right? Absolutely. Well, Angela Douglas, we, we are just about out of time. I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your insights. Um, I'm, I'm gonna tell you that you, you must, have, must agree to come back again so we can further our conversation around power because I think that is a whole other separate issue that we really need to unpack in a much more depthful way. But thank you for joining us today. Uh, you are a, a brilliant truth teller and, and please um, keep the courage and keep doing what you're doing at Vera House and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Women at the Table from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studio. We'll be back soon with more episodes where we will continue to discuss the many perils of patriarchy, male privilege, positional power, and the state of feminism in the 21st century. Today's show was engineered by Addison Schoonmaker. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. In addition to the podcast, check out buffalorising.com, where we celebrate the best of Buffalo, one story at a time.